0: How did he die?
1: I don't
0: know. Was he inside the house? Oh god. On the new carpet? No, no, don't, no, no, don't, no. don't. Did they have to break a window to get in? No,
1: the key was missing from the
0: No, workforce. don't no, don't tell it Drop
1: it. Duncan and both come correct. There's things to talk about. We should talk about it.
2: Alright, well let's begin. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Duncan and Bo Hunt Mines. That's right, uh, a tiny little division of Duncan <laughs> and Bo Come Correct, in which myself, Bo, uh, and Duncan. Hi, everyone. Uh, we hunt mines.
1: Yeah, like, soon you've, like you said, hunt mines, and there was a silence. I wasn't sure if you were expecting me to disagree, agree, applaud, boo.
2: I don't know. Was I was just, off. sometimes you just let it sit for a second, let, <laughs> like let the listeners drink it in.
1: Drink that fucking sexy, sexy Tennessee voice into yeah. your ears, you sick little shits. What,
2: it, what are you doing? We're hunting mines. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And then i whip <laughs> off the sunglasses and...
1: Yeah! <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> if only all of us could whip off our sunglasses like uh, Big Davey Caruso.
2: Yeah, it's he's impressive. Um yes. <laughs> he's a, a, a small little man, but uh feisty, he's like a little jalapeno pepper, Duncan. Oh,
1: that's, that's a spicy pepper. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have no idea what we're even talking about anymore. So hey, uh w- this is a show uh where Duncan and I are watching the season two Mindhunter. We do two episodes uh, every, uh, every episode of this show and you don't have to watch the show. I mean, we certainly encourage you to do so. Please do where possible. If you've got Netflix,
1: it's, you're paying for it already. So,
2: right. I mean, you kind of owe it to yourself, uh, mm-hmm. to get your money's worth out of Netflix. Even if you hate the show, you sit there and you watch it with a smile on your face. Cause you're giving them the money to bring this to you. Yeah. You tell them bo and and uh so um but we we go through the shows uh kind of beat by beat and then um you know discuss and theorize and have fun and uh before we do any of that though duncan Mm -hmm. we we do a little bit where we tell each other what we've been watching good and bad
1: yes we do that's something that we do
2: and are you prepared to do so or should i go first
1: you should go first because I totally forgot that I was supposed to be looking that up while I talked the ear off you for 45 minutes before we started.
2: That's fine. That's fine. I I, I went so far as to pour the gasoline on myself, <laughs> but I didn't light the match yet, uh, a la Airplane. <laughs> and uh, so let me, let me start with the bad because uh, I like to end on a high note the uh the bad was uh just this very day i saw 47 meters down uncaged oh did you know i've seen a lot of reviews saying it's a lot of fun it's real dumb and like the thing i enjoyed about the first one is that yeah it was about mandy moore and some other girl trapped in a a cage at the bottom of uh, a lake or whatever not a lake Mm. the ocean that's where okay, sharks yeah, are. Ducking.
1: Yeah, yeah well, let's hope they're not in the lakes, but... You know.
2: Oh my goodness, that's a sci-fi movie. Lake sharks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> they're, all, they're all in Lake Michigan, and it's... Oh, you betcha, we gotta go out there and kill us a shark. <laughs> <laughs> They've adapted to the cold waters, don't you know?
1: Yeah, all that true coat.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Hey, show me the way to go home. (laughs) Uh, But no, so here's the the problem with the 47 meters down on cage. (laughs) What I was saying is, like, uh, the thing I liked about that 47 meters down was that um, you had sort of varying elements of danger. You Mm -hmm. had the fact that the oxygen was running out. They were trapped in the cage. Then they were wounded. And on top of that, you had the sharks. And... You know, mild spoilers. It ended in a way that was like, "Well, fuck, that was pretty brutal."
1: Yep, yeah, it had the descent ending, which I I deeply, deeply loved
2: because it's basically
1: the descent ending. They, They ripped the fuck. (laughs)
2: Out of that. <laughs> hey you know <laughs> good artists borrow great artists steal duncan and
1: yeah i <laughs> I like, like, like the descent ending to me well the original uk one not the revised american one for those that don't like nasty endings um uh, it's like hands down one of my favorite endings in cinema history so yeah if you want to borrow that and substitute fucking strange underground fucking you know moloch creatures and substitute them with sharks i'm in with that <laughs> okay. yeah totally that
2: <laughs> yeah i i totally agree um and this movie was just real stupid like the characters are totally disposable you don't at, at like with the sisters in the first one it was like oh this is kind of like i'm re- actually rooting for them yeah and uh all of the characters are just awful in this um it's Oh, man, it's like, hey, we're dealing with mutated great white sharks. What have gone all albino because of being trapped in this underground temple for thousands of years?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. It's a lot of that shit. And it's just like, okay. I mean, the sharks show up whenever it's convenient. That like Half the time, they're like, hey, we had to scrabble our way through this super tight tunnel Oh wait, one of these big ass sharks is here again. It's like, how did that happen? <laughs> did they do they know a shortcut? What happened?
1: Did the, the Jason Voorhees thing when they just appear.
2: Dude, that is a hundred percent what this movie is. It is a it is a slasher movie to the point that a shark actually sneaks up on a guy. No Amazing. shit. No shit. And and, and like on one on one level, I'm like, well, this is hilarious and wonderful that the shark is like dun 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 dun, dun like a- it, it that like practically tiptoeing it, is it, on its fins. No, it if it, that were played with a xylophone. <laughs> Yes, it would be kind of like <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> it's it's the corner
2: It's fucking ridiculous and and there are a number of moments in this movie that are just like again mild spoilers. There's one point where like two girls at once are just getting bit uh by great whites and are just wiggling right out of it. It's like it's just like they can shake it off and I was, it's like this is just stupid. This whole movie is real dumb. Like, the the biggest star in it is uh, Northern Exposure's John Corbett. Oh, dear God. Is is probably the biggest name in it. Um, Unless one of the girls is a rapper that I don't know about. That's also a possibility (laughs) these days I have learned. It's
1: a sharp movie. That's what happens in sharp movies.
2: Right. Uh, There was one especially be-tattooed girl that I was like, I wonder if she's a DJ or something. But um,
1: well, like, you can always guarantee that there will be a rapper if you're making either a shark movie or a later day Steven Seagal movie,
2: right? <laughs> so, so anyway, it. <laughs> I wish it had also been more like when the sharks actually do get around to eating people. It's not that great, other than, again, one time, hilariously, one sneaks up on somebody.
1: That sounds amazing. Like, I would I just want to see the movie just for that. But, like, you've sold this movie hard to uh, me on the fact that a shark sneaks up on somebody.
2: Yeah, but if that's what the movie were, <laughs> yes, but 90% of this movie is these girls swimming through tunnels and being like, Oh, we're all going to die down here. We're going to drown down here. And that's most of the movie, and then every now and again one of these weird mutant sharks shows up. Right. It's it's not it's just not good. Uh, in fact, I'm the more I'm it. talking about it, the more I dislike it.
1: <laughs> I can hear it in your voice, you're just like, Oh, why well, did I do this?
2: I, um, I will I will I
1: will pivot you in a direction then. Uh, of a movie that I've heard like I've I've got my bad. Um a movie that I'd never seen before that, once again, reaffirms my belief that, like, Stephen King's adaptations in the, the 80s, for the most part, pretty fucking awesome. Stephen King adaptations in the nineties, for the most part, movies that Duncan doesn't really like. <laughs> sure. what
2: um, Are you not a fan of Graveyard Shift and its giant rodents?
1: I have not seen that. It's on the list of movies that might be tackled now that I have got this one out of the way. So I watched Thinner. And on paper, I should like thinner. Yeah. Like, because as Gypsy Curse, which tick Duncan's down with that, Tom Holland, I love Tom Holland. You know what I mean? I'm like, that should be fun. It's a kind of horror comedy that I know exactly what the plot of the story is before I even watch it. Um, I sat down and watched it and realized that that's not a good movie. Like, it's, it's, it's actually surprisingly not a good movie and that there is not one character in that movie that is remotely fucking likable like at all every single character is a piece of shit Mm -hmm. like really like across the board and i was like that that's not stephen king stephen king has a way of writing characters that you can't there should be at least one character i can relate to and i thought maybe it's the daughter you know, maybe it's the daughter of this fucking reprehensible father and cheating fucking mother, and, you know, maybe it's the daughter. And then I saw what they did at the end of the movie to the daughter, and I was like, "That oh, no, this is not, oh, they'll well, fuck me. Oh, fuck me for watching this movie. Thanks, Tom Holland. Thanks, Stephen King. Fuck Duncan. Um, yeah, that's
2: not a good movie. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you. You know what? Needful Things, also not a good movie
1: they are excited I, um, yeah if anyone well, listen hey bo if anyone has listened to the summer teapots top 10 series episode for 1993 you will know straight away duncan agrees with you that is not a good movie yeah. that is that is a that is a tv movie with swear words
2: yep That's, i I, <laughs> I love max von seadal uh and ed harris and uh who else bonnie bedelia, bedelia. is that who's yeah, in that fucking
1: great cast yeah. in that movie great cast not, and,
2: not great movie yeah that movie's is oh, what a piece of shit. For the
1: most part, once again, a whole lot of characters that are not nice. Right. Like, There's really. Ed Harris is about the extent of people I should care about. And it's fucking Ed Harris, which means, you know, he's a slightly unfair advantage in that I'd love Ed Harris anyway. Uh, but yeah, not, not. I don't know. It, it's just. I, what I can kind of hypothesized while doing my review of Thinner was that maybe, just maybe, something in me clicked and told me avoid because that's always been the thing with with Stephen King like even when I did my top 10 best and worst Stephen King adaptations i really really delving a lot than the 90s stuff because I was like like no one has ever I, I, I never see any lists no one's ever told me you know this is one of the best you know and it happened in the 90s so I'm just going to work on the premise that, that you know it's not you know it's a decade full of you know, subpar adaptations uh, and now that I'm working my way through them I, I realise very quickly that yeah I was I was right in that opinion back then <laughs> and um, why I'm now going through them is like because I watched the dark half and the dark half was and that's good for, that's Romero directing yeah, that, and that yeah. is a whole snooze fest of a movie as well.
2: It, I, yes, it it has the grievous sin of being super boring.
1: Yeah, I, I just don't. I have you don't, seen
2: no. the Nightflyer? Uh, yes, I have. I think that is a, 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 a on the upper tier of adaptations from that era. Yeah, it's but that's what, like
1: Toby Hooper, is it not? Uh,
2: no, it's not. No, Sorry,
1: that's a uh, Toby Hooper did the, the other one. Fuck.
2: Hold on, I'll. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, the, the, that one and um, like we were speaking about, once again, during the, the 90s. This is why all these things are coming up. Um, one of the movies I had to discuss with Sleepwalkers, and that is not a good movie either.
2: <laughs> oh, no. The, although uh, one of the most memorable things from my childhood, I think, Duncan, was seeing that corn cob used as a murder weapon, <laughs> where I was like, well, this is just a standard by which I will measure stupid shit.
1: I don't I just yeah I just don't get I don't know if it's like I always perceived the king's slump so to speak in terms of his his work as being like a late 90s thing you know, late nineties, early two thousands, but I like I I'm just obviously not aware of I don't know if the books are much better. I think that's the thing. I think what happened was people started doing his kind of non-overtly horror based stuff. And that's where the interest peaks up. Like something like uh, like misery's obviously a classic and it's definitely a horror. Mm-hmm. Um it's probably the high watermark of that decade of in terms of, of king adaptations. Um but when you watch something like Dolores Claiborne, which is a fucking incredible movie, not really a horror movie. Some horrible shit happens in it, but it's not really a horror movie. It's more like a really dark drama. Um, and or, or something like Shawshank, which I'm not even all that big a fan of, if I'm honest. Um, you know, like it's, it's when they start pivoting uh, away from like his, his goofy horror movies um, or horror novels, that's when things become Interesting, and then started getting me thinking about was like Pet Sematary the beginning of that because Pet Sematary isn't a great movie either, even though we have an affinity for some of the performances. Maybe that's the catalyst uh, because I think after that you've got Cat's Eyes, or even is Firestarter post post Pet cemetery maybe just before actually.
2: Yeah, it's in the neighborhood of I think Firestarter is eighty three, eighty four.
1: Yeah, so I mean, at that point, I'm thinking to myself, "Well, you know, is you know, is this the you know, is Pet Sematary the start for it? Because I'm really struggling to think of much that's great out with misery, which is the fucking given. You know what I mean? It's like that's that, that's the answer to every. What's the best Stephen King adaptation of the race? misery. You know, <laughs> next question, please. Um, <laughs> I'd like, I'd, I'd, I, don't, I'd, I, don't know. I like I'm just there's a whole. Like, even when I think of it. Which, I mean, is really widely regarded. And I think It's half of a really good movie. The Stand is a snooze.
2: Um, Oof, boy. I, man, it, that is so promising. I'm I'm excited about someone taking another crack at that, too. Yeah. Like, I mean, Pet Cemetery didn't work out for anybody.
1: <laughs> no one came out smelling fresh from that movie. <laughs> no. Um, and that's not because we're talking about dead bodies. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd like... Is it like I don't know? And then it makes me question because, like, what I was thinking was like in the hands of like Brian De Palma or Stanley Kubrick or you know, them fucking John Carpenter or you know, or David Cronenberg, you have these phenomenal, uh, you know, adaptations; these works that just are are, are fucking great. And then it makes me think: is it you know, is it the content or is it the decade or is it the director? um i don't know i don't know but yeah thinner has like kind of really made me think maybe you know there's only really a handful of great king adaptations
2: i think you've hit upon the the true secret you've got uh i like firestarter quite a bit actually
1: i don't mind firestarter
2: um yeah um, but you know obviously you've got the 70s stuff which is great which kind of high waters at the shining yeah yeah and then, uh, like I said, you got Firestarter. I think Christine's just fine. The Dead Zone. The Dead Zone's, the Dead Zone's f- great. a remarkable movie. And then, yeah, I mean, it's kind of sparse until Misery. You got that yeah. Toby Hooper Salem slot, which I think is, is pretty great.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, like that's, but yeah, you're talking that 70s, that 79. So... Yeah. You know, and The Shining, which was shot in the 70s, that's 80s. So, I mean, like, it gets to that point where you're like, you know, was it like, I I don't know. It's it's, it's got me thinking, but. uh,
2: Back, Shaman. Back, (laughs)
1: Honeyman. Ah, the master. Uh, (laughs) You get to that point (laughs) so good, man. God
2: damn, I want to watch that again now.
1: You get to that point where you're just watching it, thinking, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where, like, everyone that I get, I get bummed out by, it, and I put it up as another option. Graveyard Shift's one of the options. Um, I got where we go, where we go next, and it's winning. And I'm like, what are fucking people doing here? Give me good shit.
2: Yeah, Graveyard Shift. Uh, that is the rat movie, right? But yeah, yep. and it's, I mean, as a creature feature, it's kind of okay. Brad Dourif is 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 good in it. It's Brad Dourif it. He and is. You're, you're,
1: you're winning me over.
2: And I mean, it, it. Look, it's not a great movie. Don't get me wrong. But you can do worse than Graveyard Shift. The Mangler oh, okay. is a million times worse. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's Toby Hooper. Yeah, that's what, that was the one I couldn't remember. That's um, that
2: is a movie that is pure cocaine. <laughs>
1: If you're gonna do it, do it well. That's what you know really. I mean, like, if you're gonna if you're gonna get coked out your face, get coked out your face. Man,
2: that fucking machine fucking running silver. around at the end of that movie is just nonsense. <laughs> 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 um, hey, uh hey, let me tell you about a good movie though. Please do, please do. All right, so I told you earlier uh that I, I was watching that Jason Momoa. Conan the Barbarian
1: you did yes and we, we established very quickly that I wasn't aware of that movie's existence yeah
2: it's it's not very good and it will be the uh, finale of pick six movies this season mm-hmm. so um but what it led me in uh, down a path of was uh listening to some of the Robert E. Howard stories on audiobook as I was commuting and oh, I nice. and uh which I'd never done like I'd never read that stuff And it was like, oh, this is actually pretty... Like, one of the stories is this weird, like, locked room mystery, but uh, with Conan. And it's kind of cool. Um, And then I went back and watched the John Milius' Conan the Barbarian. Oh, nice. And that movie is so fucking metal, man.
1: Oh, from start to finish. It's, Uh, like, it's excessively metal. It
2: is so good holy shit you'll forget how good Conan the Barbarian is like the the best thing about it to me is the hilarious links they go to to just not have Schwarzenegger say anything in the movie oh yeah <laughs> where they're just like his English is not so good we're uh we're we're about, we're about a decade and a half
1: away from that let's just
2: <laughs> right it's so periodically just they throw in some uh voice over to be like and then Conan was angry. He is incapable of emoting this because he's a Sumerian. Um, but but that voiceover also gives a shit like uh, when, when he's sneaking into the Thulsa Doom crowd. Um, mm. And he's like, the the children of Doom. Yeah. They ask Conan to lay down his sword and return to the earth. Ha! <laughs> Time enough for the earth in the grave. And you're like... Bow-weow! I mean, that movie... He sees his father not just axed in the spine in the front end of that movie. He is His father is then eaten by dogs. Yep. In front of his face.
1: That's the barbarian double tap.
2: Yeah, holy shit, man. That again that movie like cover to cover it is just one of the most rockin movies it is in in the camp for me of something like um Highlander where oh, it's yeah. just oh, like totally. it is it is just there has never been a movie quite like it since. Um, yeah, if you—I
1: mean, if you want to sit down and have a triple bill of absolute fucking incredible awesomeness to do with swords, you shove on fucking Excalibur, Conan the Barbarian, and Highlander, and that is that is a triple bill right now. That I tell you, you will fucking be enjoying yourself and hearing fucking Queen in the back,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> all the way right fucking through it. Man, I want to do that now, man. Honestly, that sounds like a fucking great night. The,
2: uh, there is one piece of music in Conan the Barbarian. It's when they sneak into Doom's place mm-hmm. and uh, they, they sneak into the cannibal orgy. <laughs> yeah. And it is this, like, almost belly dance music or something mm-hmm. that's playing. Mm-hmm. is so fucking good, man. They're all in, like, black and white camouflage or something. <laughs> It's just like I don't even know what they're supposed to be camouflaged against. Uh, this doesn't make any sense. It makes them more visible, if anything. Mm. But it, it, all of it rocks, and then uh, then he, Conan cuts off James Earl Jones's head, and it takes up several whacks, and yeah. it's. <laughs> that is also one of the raddest things that's ever happened in movies. I, dude, by the end of that movie I was so fucking delighted. I had forgotten how good that movie was and it it made my heart swell.
1: Oh it's, yeah, it's a like to wall great fucking movie. Like that that to me is I think you'd like in absolutely 100% nearly. Like, you you I think sometimes we forget how good that movie is and it's yeah, it's one that I like, I can't remember the last time I revisited. I don't even know if it's out on Blu-ray. Um, and if it is, I need to fucking own that. Because it's one of those ones that, yeah, I, it's a, a pure joy for me to watch. You know, that's one of those great... It's one of those movies I grew up watching a lot. Um,
2: yeah. And,
1: like, like, even... I actually don't even mind the vastly inferior goofy fucking sequel with Grace Jones, and that's the reason you watch that movie,
2: because sure. she's weird
1: enough. Fucking metal skull piece and head button cunts. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs>
2: like, yeah, she's I, amazing in it. The rest of the movie is kinda eh. It's a absolutely
1: little absolutely awful the rest of the movie. It's, it's a little
2: didn't... cutesy. Like the original it's really Conan the, the original Conan the Barbarian was like, Oh, he's you know, he eyes some dogs who chased him into the tomb of a king and yeah. takes that sword <laughs> to then hunt those fucking dogs down and wear them out as pelts. And in like Conan the Destroyer, he's like it's like a buddy comedy with him and this thief pal of his.
1: Yeah, which the bit that like I I, remember, I always remember watching that movie as well and going that did he like did I miss the bit where he made a friend at the end of that last movie like because like, I like on that level you know what I mean where they were that goofy I was like no I never
2: happened yeah um, and also that- he doesn't punch out a camel in the sequel
1: that's kind of amazing when it happens
2: it's the dude it's the best because the campbell stays up for a second it staggers yeah. a little bit before it goes down it's beautiful
1: yeah this is kind of amazing anyway, uh, yeah
2: <laughs> i can't sell that movie any harder like conan the barbarian is just it. it's one of the best movies ever made i think
1: yeah, it's, it's fucking great, and you'd like. I, I will be searching the internet after a recording, and I will be fucking finding a Blu-ray, and I will be fucking purchasing it. Oh, man, that's such a good movie. Like, well, like, see, now that's what I am talking about. You get me happy when we discuss shit like that. In terms of my good movie, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I to try and like wait as long as possible and keep you talking about that, so I could find my good movie. But guess what? I found. My good movie. Oh, um, I, I'm Go starting ahead, my to. Good bi- sir. <laughs> I am doing a bit of research at the moment because I am doing. We're bringing back something that I did a while ago, which was uh, a podcast, which kind of sp- specialized in a theme and then tied that theme through different European horror movies. And season three, which I can't give away much details about, I can mention something that I did watch for it and. It just reminded me how fucked up the UK was, like, in the 60s. Just, like, cinema and TV over here was just really, really, really weird. And there is a great uh, made-for-TV horror movie called Whistle and I'll Come to You. And it's fucking trippy, weird, and absolutely terrifying. (laughs) Um, From the 60s? Yeah, it's from 68. Okay. Um, It's basically... And we'll speak about this off here so I can give more context. Um, but it, it follows this kind of old gentleman who's out and about and enjoying life in the countryside and all the rest. And he's staying away at like a like a bed set and stuff. And um, he comes across a whistle, which he foolishly plays. Um, and from the point of him playing the whistle, he is haunted very much, it follows, by the way, by something in the background. Hmm, which just, okay continues to fucking stalk him uh, right up to this crescendo of a scene which at, at, at the time I imagine terrified the fucking generation um, and it's absolutely but the acting, just like it's so weird and out of place and strange and it's shot black and white and it's happening to this old guy you don't want like a pensioner you don't want bad things to happen to a pensioner um, but it's, it's just wonderfully weird and twisted, um, and a way that kind of get behind And it. It's that way where, like in the UK, we were doing, th- at this time period for TV, they were doing things like the stone tapes, which is a weird fucking watch, and Quatermass, which is a weird fucking watch. I,
2: I really like those Quatermass movies. Oh,
1: Quatermass is fucking awesome, but it's just that kind of, there's just something slightly off to the side. They're just weird yeah there's a tone about it that just doesn't sit normally, and as a result you kind of feel a bit wrong watching them and that um that particular example is is one of the ones that um that kind of highlights the beginning of a massive move into what my topic will be It's like one of the precursors to it and i, I love it greatly incidentally enough I didn't realize until I watched it uh, that they remade it they updated it um I want to see just over a decade ago and replaced the, the old actor with John Hurt. So I need to check that out because I oh. fucking love John Hurt and absolutely everything. And he plays the old guy. Um, so I want to see if how the retelling of that stacks up. But it was let, the BBC that produced it back in the day and BBC that re, uh, produced the, the remake. So.
2: Let, let me know which one I should watch. I will do uh, because I,
1: I both. Because, I mean, they're short. I mean, uh, Whistle and I'll come to you in an hour. So.
2: Like the I, I'm a firm believer that every I don't know decade or so the BBC does something that is accidentally the scariest shit you ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that sounds uh, of that ilk, but like yeah. Ghost Watch. Oh was... yeah, like
1: last year the the guys from Inside Number Nine did their uh, Halloween TV special. And it was like it was like a kind of Ghostwatch thing, and it's maybe the most ingenious thing I've seen on the BBC since Ghostwatch. And I was, I'm not gonna lie, shitting myself watching it on the TV because they played it. But you would need to have seen it live to understand how clever it fucking was, and how their social media played right into it. Hmm. Um, like it was all to do with technical difficulties that were happening during their live performance and as soon as the technical difficulties started happening their you know their twitter their facebook and all the rest started putting out things like you know we're sorry that people are experiencing this and all that it just it was done geniusly and that show was great anyway um but it was done they handled it to perfection but the reveal was like and there are two or three scenes in it that are pants shittingly scary um uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think every now and again the BBC are like, let's do something scary. Forgetting that, like, scary shit can at times be fucking scary. Right. <laughs>
2: like, so- well, yeah, it's just like you know, what do you know about whore, Johnson? I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I we I know some people, sir. <laughs> yeah. Well, put put them in charge of a show, <laughs> and and they don't really pay attention. That they put it out, and it's like. We'd like to apologize. Uh, Yeah,
1: (laughs) because they have to. Because in the UK, especially, the BBC is funded by public money. (laughs) Right. It's it's why it has to be, it's why it has to, quote unquote, be impartial with things like its news um, and its political stances and all the rest. Because you know it's funded by public money, so when it fucking terrifies the general public, um, people will complain. <laughs> like knuckles will be wrapped. Like the, the Inside Number Nine guys did. What was it Christmas before they did their like special Christmas episode, which was basically a snuff movie? <laughs> like, it was their version of it that had a snuff ending. And I remember watching and got that. This is on fucking the BBC at Christmas. <laughs>
2: Right, someone someone's going to get letters. Yes, someone is about to get in trouble.
1: Like serious fucking trouble. They're going to get called up to a floor in the BBC headquarters they didn't know existed. <laughs> like, <you> know?
2: <laughs> Man, I I again, I just I so dearly love it when the BBC accidentally does shit that is just the best. Like they yeah. they uh they've got Ben Wheatley doing this new zombie show. And it's like, I don't know if you know what you're buying into, but fucking let's do this.
1: Yeah, you'd strap yourself. But he's got a great, his last movie, which wasn't genre at all, um, which was a Happy New Year, Colin Burnstead, which I don't know if it ever got a release in the US. It's kind of family drama, dark comedy. Do um, you know that was put out on the BBC over Christmas? and what that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you know what you're doing here, and then I saw it, and I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense." But you know, when I was like, when it was announced, the BBC had funded that. I was like, "You did see Killless, right?" Right. <laughs> no, he, like, I mean, you <laughs>
2: saw what? What is it? Uh, high rise
1: <laughs> and sightseers. Yeah,
2: like the dude. The dude directs some weird shit. Yeah, the the guy is scared in England. Of, England, Jesus of going to the Christ. dark place. You know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. he
1: isn't scared of like dragging you. Like a field in England. You know, he isn't scared of taking you to the dark place.
2: Um, right, like, y- like when the dude emerges from the tent where he saw like Black Philip or whatever. What's uh, <laughs> <laughs> thou likes to live deliciously? But when he comes out, that I, I've said it on this show before, I know I don't care when he comes out of that tent with that grin on his face that is just utter madness. Yeah. is the one of the scariest things i've ever seen in a movie
1: yeah it's absolutely terrifying and that's reese shearsmith who does inside number nine (laughs) like so (laughs) you know what i mean like that's that's the sort of stuff he likes to do so um yeah i'd like oh my god yeah ah which was also produced by channel 4 which is you know that's a tv station in the uk as well so
2: um
1: yeah we're, we're weird people over here that work in tv that finance things that are extremely dark and challenging
2: dead set also a great <laughs> bbc production right. uh there's
1: channel four i think well it was channel four in the uk i don't know if bbc put it out in the states but yeah that's a, 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 a,
2: a yeah again a, just a, a terrific zombie show um mm-hmm. all right well that's that's us up to date yes duncan Speaking of dark shit. Yeah. Let's get into <laughs> Happy Good Time Family, uh, a.k.a. Mind Hunter. Duncan, the first episode uh, for tonight is episode three of season two of The Mind Hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, not The Mind Hunter, it's just Mind Hunter. Um, <laughs> using the kids. Don't confuse the kids. And. you also age yourself
1: horribly when you refer to anything with that in front of you.
2: That's what makes me laugh about it. That's, <laughs> what, that's why I find it funny. <laughs> Um, this was, uh, the last in the season until we get to the end that is directed by the David Fincher.
1: The David Fincher is someone that I fucking love, by the way. And I love the fact that we get like three episodes at the start here by
2: him. Yeah. And I think, uh, uh, did he direct the, no, he, uh, Carl Franklin, uh, directed the last two. But anyway, um, so, yeah, so Fincher usually starts things off, and I think he, he directed the finale of the, the first season. Mm-hmm. And this one, he's he's just doing the first three, uh, so this ends his three-episode run on season two of Mindhunter. Uh, getting, mm-hmm. Setting things up, getting things started, putting the pieces where they uh, need to be for the rest of the season to pop off. And yep. so we begin... Uh, as we often do on uh, the the studious Dennis Rader at a library. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, desperately, desperately, desperately trying to think of ways to get back with his wife.
2: Yeah, uh, well, that's not really what <laughs> no it looks point. like, Duncan. No. <laughs> uh, he Instead, he's just listening to music on his Walkman and tracing a woman from a magazine but drawing like bondage gear over in chains and shit yeah and uh like a librarian interrupts him and he's like oh nothing (laughs) (laughs) and uh the the librarian is just like hey man i'm just telling you it's almost time to close nice uh nice reflection work on those chains yeah (laughs) and uh, and and so that's that. Uh, we're just, again, we, we keep teasing BTK.
1: Yeah, because that's now going to start, it's now having an impact in this season, which I quite like as well.
2: Right, as we saw in the last episode, Bill is kind of nibbling around the edges of the BTK case. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, speaking of Bill, we cut to him waking up and no one's in bed with him. And he goes to look around and Brian's back in his bed and Nancy is staring out the window and he's like, hey, Nancy, what's wrong? <laughs> and she <laughs> she's she's like, hey, don't you remember the last episode, motherfucker? They found a dead body. And the house I was selling. Yeah. And he's like, oh, right. Thanks for catching everybody up, Nance.
1: <laughs> yeah. Plus my name and telephone number are on the fucking front of that house.
2: Yeah, she's like will you take that off and he's like yeah, I got to go by there and drop off some shoes. And <laughs> then he calls he calls into work and is like I can't go with Holden to Atlanta today.
1: <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> got one of those 24-hour flus.
2: Right, it's the same shit that Gina Malone had in the finale of Too Old to Die Young.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Apparently, contagious in TV.
2: Yeah, she was. She was taking a, a sane day. Um, yeah,
1: well, while well, she fucking like wore a virtual headset device and played with a man in the boat.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like Bill ain't getting none of that. Bill's all Bill's got to do is drop off potential murder shoes and remove a number. <laughs>
2: right he's like, i'm not into your freaky virtual reality masturbation <laughs> and uh but he calls me he's like uh look uh i'm sick uh i'm gonna I'll, i'm gonna go uh tomorrow and uh jim is gonna meet holden at the airport mm-hmm. and um he you know he's telling holden like basically look you're gonna go down there and you're gonna listen to whatever jim says because remember you just got out of the giggle factory
1: yeah i put myself in the line we had a talk on the plane which i said you will not fuck up again and you promise you wouldn't
2: right and he's like i'm not there to babysit you and if i let you have you know these these uh interviews don't fuck this up and he's like it's cool man and he's like who am i meeting again he's like his name's you know what's his name jim er... Uh, pierce no, oh, no the
1: pierce is the killer they're gonna meet is jim
2: i always think of him as, as uh, I'll, I'll remember it in a minute Is uh, jim someday yeah i was gonna say jim beard and that's not right
1: no <laughs> where are you getting that from
2: i don't know duncan hold on uh jim barney barney yeah I was in rubble right so uh he's like Uh, You're meeting Jim Barney and Holden's like, the black guy you liked when we were hiring stupid Greg that nobody likes?
1: Yeah, no one likes Greg.
2: Yeah, and he's like, yeah, him. And uh, he's like, all right, cool. Uh, He seemed like a nice guy. And then uh, Bill's like, fine, fine. fine. We're going to let this happen, but don't fuck it up and I'm going to be there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so he hangs up with him and then Brian... Comes in and is like, hello, mother, hello, father. <laughs> I've got quite a surprise for you. I have pissed
1: the bed. <laughs> yeah. And I am sorry.
2: I am very sorry. I beg of you, find it in your heart to forgive me, mother, father. Listen,
1: Listen to a poor orphan child who you, talk, you took and put a roof over his head, fed and clothed him. I am in sorry, seven, I have urinated on my sheets. And I will tell you right now, I will endeavor. My heart is to not do it again.
2: You've both been so very kind. <laughs> Look how I repay you. With my urine stain, your mattress of freedom. <laughs> your mattress of
1: freedom. <laughs> you, you, you broke the shackles of the orphanage and allowed me to become one of your dear, sweet, small family. I, I deeply love being here, and as a token of my appreciation, I marked my territory by Pissing all over these sheets.
2: As well as these pants, as you see.
1: And the wall.
2: The carpet as I walked from (laughs) hither to yon.
1: up the side of the door and in one of the six drawers.
2: (laughs) You'll be surprised to find which one, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) Just don't open a third.
2: (laughs) That has mummies under things. (laughs)
1: by the way there will be a reveal coming up at some point over our discussions um on this one all i'm gonna say is we called it right
2: yeah yeah
1: and i'm, I'm just gonna say like as much smugness as i want to have here i think the tv show wasn't you know backwards and coming forward so to speak
2: yes no uh from season one it's like that's kind of a creepy kid <laughs> yeah. spoilers for the end of this episode it turns out yes he is yes, quite he is. quite creepy.
1: Yes, quite creepy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> he puts the, the 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 frosting on top of a already distasteful muffin.
2: Oh, does he ever? <laughs> and so Bill goes to the murder house with the bag of shoes and meets the the cop uh, that that came to him uh, the night before. <laughs> He's just all shaken up. He's he's
1: a fucking husk of a human being. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. (sighs) It's not funny. It's terrifying. But he's just like totally like you weren't
2: there, man. (laughs) (laughs) You have no idea what it was like, man. We're in the shit. We're in the shit, man. Um, but yeah, he's like uh, Bill. Bill's like, hey, you mind if I grab this? Placard here, off the, off the top of the for sale sign. My wife's giving me the business about it, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> so- it don't matter. None of this matters, man." I stared at the abyss, brother, <laughs> it's like and it stared seconds. back. He's
1: <laughs> like two seconds away from being fucking. <laughs> his name a hey, from a uh, from aliens.
2: <laughs> oh, Hudson. I was thinking that there's a little bit of Dennis Hopper from Apocalypse Now. There's <laughs> some pretty fucking freaky shit, man. <laughs> and uh, so the detective is like, man, you got to come inside and see this shit. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, because like, even from the even from their initial meeting in the previous episode, like, you, you know, Bill has an interest. His curiosity has been peaked, not only because it's in his fucking neighborhood, but too, this is where he shines. This guy clearly does not have the tools, the faculty, or the fucking <laughs> the gumption, uh, the testicular fortitude, or just the stomach for whatever it is we're going to see. And you can tell in his eyes, he's just like that. Just go and please take this off my hands, right? (laughs) Just
2: tell, right? Tell me what to do. Yeah, you know, and and there's something human about that that I really like. Where I mean, he all but says that. And there's a moment later where Bill kind of stands up for him that I really like. Uh,
1: Oh yeah, it's it's brilliant.
2: But uh, so he's he gives him the lowdown, which is, hey, they're the key was taken from the lockbox. Uh, which, you know, only a few people knew, including the mother, mm-hmm. uh, Nancy. And then uh, he's like, well, you know, what happened here? And the cop is just like, oh, I just, I can't. there <laughs> let me take you downstairs. And he's like, the, the back door was open. And then he takes him into the basement and it's, like, th- clearly the outline.
1: Oh, it's like, this is horrific. This is, like, one of those scenes which, you know, we're having fun and all the rest, but we kind of have to because the subject matter is, like, as a parent, the subject matter is f- fucking traumatizing.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and what has happened is that the 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 murder was that of a toddler, uh, mm-hmm. what, 22-month-old child, yeah, um, who is found strapped to a crucifix like a, a crudely put together crucifix mm-hmm. and uh and and was strangled to death if I didn't mention that yes
1: and, and tied cross
2: yes and it's just the worst yeah. and then we do a hard cut a smash cut if you will mm-hmm. to Nancy dropping a plate on the floor <laughs> And this is some of my favorite shit in this whole episode, where she's, uh, (laughs) by the way, one of my notes just made me laugh, where uh, I was like, you know, she drops the plate, and it's like, oh, we go through so many like that, Bill's just like, again, did someone give you bad news? We're down to two plates, Nance. We're living like animals, I have to eat over the sink, you know, just so you and Brian have plates and anyway but uh he he's like hey uh she at your murder house uh it turns out it was a child and she's like oh god don't tell me Mm -hmm. and he's like okay i won't all right well how did they get in did they break in no nance the Door was open. It was unlocked. Oh, don't tell me that! And you're like, <laughs> all right, look, you're giving me a lot of mixed signals here. I don't know. <laughs> she keeps that. It's so funny. I love it. But again, it's a very human thing of like, of course, is. I, I want to know, well. but I don't want to know. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, so um she's like, I gotta. T- I'm gonna. <laughs> I'll, I'll move. I really like. She's like, I'm gonna get a glass of wine, and then I gotta call the owner of the house uh to let them know what's going on and bill's like yeah that's probably a good idea nance <laughs> yeah and also
1: it's half past nine in the morning nance
2: right like <clears throat> look whatever you got to get through today you do what you've got to do <laughs> yeah and then we cut to uh jim and holden who are interviewing uh the this guy named pierce yeah who, who
1: was a real killer
2: yes uh, as as are these all? They these are all yep. authentic. So, like murders.
1: this this crime that's happening with <clears throat> with Bill and and Nancy, this is fictional because that's what they like to do in these shows is they mix them over. Um, but this is yeah very much a, a real guy. And once again, kudos to whoever it is that is finding the actors and the makeup they're putting on them because this is fucking spot on.
2: Yeah, it, it, this is. Of of the the pair of interviews, one the the one coming up is kind of weirdly funny. Yeah, but but this one is really cool where it's Pierce is this guy who's a little bit of a redneck. Um, and and, Just a <laughs> and a little, a little <laughs> boasts about his intelligence, but clearly he's not very bright. Like he, he yeah, because he
1: can speak seven languages and can only count six.
2: <laughs> right, can't name them. <laughs> It and, comes
1: right to do it again. It's
2: yeah, and when, and then Pierce <laughs> is like, and because Holden's kind of taking the lead, and Pierce is like, well, what's this this black fella doing here? Mm-hmm. I didn't know the FBI hired black people. And Holden's just like this fucking racist redneck. Yeah, I am just done with.
1: Yeah, Holden. You've got to remember, from Holden's perspective, he has had a taste of the the high life. You know what I mean? He he got to sit down with Ed Kemper. He sat down with Richard Speck. So he sat down with these like more articulate, really fucking out there, terrifying guys. Uh, it's, some of which you know have borderline genius levels of IQ, like Ed Kemper has. And now he's sitting down with this guy who is using words. Um, Uh, but not in the right context or like mispronouncing certain words that now mean different things and and a way to try and uh, dispense with platitudes and at the same time portray himself as some sort of like hyper intelligent, you know, guy who was tricked, who was tricked into admitting to the crimes they did, and holding at this point is like, listen, this is not this test is not designed for people like you. It's designed for people that are far smarter that can give me more insight. So he totally checks out, and what I love about this is when he does that, you know, he completely checks out. Um, like his partner, like takes the lead, and actually surprisingly manages to crack the veneer that Pierce has and start to like basically get him to incriminate himself without necessarily incriminating himself. It's like the kind of OG version of if I did it. You know yeah. What I mean?
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of like, well, what do you think this guy who did these crimes? Yeah. You know? Um And Jim is like, he gives him a Malamar. It mm. is how he kind of breaks the ice with him and right
1: what's a malamar right for us non-american people what's a malamar
2: it's uh if memory serves it is kind of a graham cracker base with marshmallow on top and all of that is covered in chocolate
1: so it's like a s'more but not mellied
2: yeah kind of
1: oh, all right interesting and it's tasty and i want one
2: it, it, they are very good yes and or the malamars may be just marshmallow covered in chocolate i can't remember
1: i'll have that as well yeah one of
2: the two and in, in equally good and i would i would have one also um but like pierce after denying committing all these murders jim just starts talking to him about being a trucker and being on the road and he's like that must have been tough work and people not respecting you and then he tells the story about like yeah i got hit in the head by this steel girdle mm-hmm. uh and my brain got stimulated he was like, I can't say the word, but here's what happened to me. And he spells it out for him. And Jim goes, I understand. <laughs> and it's this really nice moment where y- then he starts telling a story about like, well, hey, how did how'd you find all those bodies if you didn't kill all those people? And he's like, oh, I'm clairvoyant, man. That's <laughs> But but is also talking about how, you know, some bitch called him a moron one time and he he had to deal with her when he was out there being a trucker and stuff and and so they're getting actual information no thanks to holden and anyway that after the interview jim is like yeah i got the idea for those malamars from all the transcripts on the brutos and the kemper uh cases and i saw that picture uh in pierce's file of him in his cell and he had a bunch of junk food yeah and then they almost run over some kids, <laughs> and who are walking in a line. And Holden is like, "Hey, what's going on around here?" And he's like, "Well, there there've been some murders of children in neighborhoods like this." And yeah, and
1: I, I'm like, "Ooh, Atlanta channel murders!"
2: <laughs> and it, what's crazy about this man, and one of the reasons that I, I ended up watching this show like all of a all of a sudden, like, is because I remember being a kid when the Atlantic child murders were happening. Yeah. And now, like, living close to Nashville, that's, like, Atlanta's five hours away from me, which Mm -hmm. isn't very far in the U.S. And uh, so it felt very... And I was a child at the time. um, But there was also the element of, like, no, 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 it's just the black kids who are getting stolen. Yeah. And and ending up uh, murdered. Anyway, it's really interesting. It's, like, one of the, the first crimes I remember as a kid that was, like... I have an unhealthy obsession with this. And, yeah, yeah. You, uh,
1: you tend to find that, like, in in my country, it was the, the kind of first thing that kind of sprung to me was there was a girl from my high school that went missing, and her case was solved, like, in the last five, six years. Oh, wow. Like, like 20 years to work out what had actually happened to her. And she was linked to a guy who was only caught... Because he had, he was caught for another murder like 20, 20 years later. And they managed to link it back, but it was everywhere when I was growing up. So, like, those sort of things just didn't happen in the UK. So, you know, it was something like the Moores murders or something, which is well before my time. Um, So it's one of those things where you were just like, what the is going on and in fact it was my school uh, it was a high school that i was about to go into actually i happened i think it was like two years before i went into that high school um and i was just like oh no <laughs> like, like a, absolutely one of those things that like kind of terrifying you and then it wasn't long after that that we got the whole fucking uh, fred and rosemary west thing
2: oh sure yeah. as
1: well which you know like the, the murdered kids so yeah. i was like just Horrible, weird shit that made you look at the world just a little bit differently as a kid. You know, you're not an adult yet in that world that you thought was safe. So the first cracks in the, you, you know, in the in the in the shield that you have, which protects you, to realise that the world is actually a really fucking dangerous place.
2: Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I
1: mean, you would have been about the right age for the like the Atlanta child stuff as well, would you have not? You would have been. You must have been
2: oh yeah i was like 10 years old at the time
1: i must have been fucking terrified
2: (laughs) oh yeah yeah no the the idea that like the news was was absolutely obsessed with you know once they realized like oh it is the same killer yeah um that yeah it was it it was a giant deal um and and something that like it yeah it was it was frightening but the 80s were a terrifying time in general
1: well, yeah, yeah, if you were an American, these were a terrifying time because that's when all your serial killers were getting caught.
2: Well, not <laughs> not just the serial killers, but there was also the uh, nuclear arms race yep, at because, the time, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which was horrifying because, like, there was a constant, like, there was a lot of loose talk about, like, yeah, there could be a nuclear war. It could yeah, happen. you
1: had to do all those drills under your table, didn't you? Uh-huh.
2: Yep. Oh, Fuck sake. Yeah, I, I remember those well. I and mean, even as a kid, it was like, w- "Will this help anything?" And it was like, "Not really. It's just uh, you got to do something," I suppose. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so this table will protect me, right?
2: Yeah. No. like <laughs> no, but... <laughs> radioactive isotopes just bounce right off the desk. Is that what I'm led to believe? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we just wear outfits
1: made from the desk then?
2: Yeah. Where, where are the iodine tablets I've seen Chernobyl. what the fuck is going on here <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway Holden is like, hey it looks like uh, in this town people aren't really you know the cops don't seem to be paying attention and Jim's like, yeah welcome to Atlanta man it's this this place is kind of fucked up mm. and Holden is like, hey do you want to come to breakfast? And Jim's like, I really can't I, as much as I would like to. And, uh, you know, but I appreciate working with you and all that. And it was like, they have kind of a nice moment where it's, you know, is just like, and we went with fucking Greg. I have, yeah. <laughs> look, I haven't made a lot of mistakes, but that was one.
1: Oh, Greg is such a fun whipping boy. He, oh. this series just fucking brilliant.
2: Yeah. So, uh, Holden then checks into his hotel and, And this cute black chick is behind the the desk and is kind of giving him the eye a little bit.
1: Oh, yeah, she's like, you know, what are you doing later on? Maybe I'll take you right. some of the best food in Atlanta. And he's like, he's, he's actually, <laughs> he's upstairs in his bedroom going, who loves you, baby? Oh, I mean, you're 16. Ow. <laughs> he's just like totally getting himself the suits out, the ties on, the cologne, uh-huh. the cologne, you know, he's, he's getting himself ready. He's a sexy beast. He's like <laughs> psyching himself in the mirror. It's like, who's going to get some? You're going to get some. then he
2: smacks his face and he screams. Yep, because
1: it's home alone. Yep. Um, and he's like, you know, I'll tell you right now, she'll be holding my Ford little, later on. Well, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, you know.
2: if, if Like, he, w- as a character, he would never say that, but he should totally say that.
1: He should totally say that. If your name's Holding, then yeah. you should be yeah, exactly. Uh, it gets himself ready, goes down Sashie's down to the the reception area. She's there. She's got the big Pam Greer fucking afro, and I'm like, damn, it's a foxy lady. And
2: <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. The, the actress is super hot, no doubt about it.
1: Yep. And then they get into her unreliable car, um, uh-huh. and he's like, this is great. And then she's taking him further out of town. He's like, yeah, this is great and then she takes him to this like small kind of diner and he's like i suppose this is great and then the diner's empty and he's like what the fuck is going on and but what happens here
2: well he is led to a group of mothers of dead children yes (laughs) and he's like surprise (laughs) yeah he's like i thought we were having a date and she's like um you're having a date with destiny
1: yeah you're, you're having a date with cold hard reality
2: yeah well and it's these mothers who are like hey you know remember uh what you said in the car with your uh your your friend jim earlier and he's like how did you guys hear that And they're <laughs> like don't worry about it you know how you were talking about that and how the, cops the, aren't the paying three
1: attention here all <laughs> yes
2: we are the oracles um <laughs> the, or- the oracles of atlanta
1: Yes, we see everything except where her missing son is. We don't know where he is. But we
2: see see everything.
1: It's a bad joke. I shouldn't be
2: laughing at that. Y'all come in here for a prophecy? (laughs) Shoot.
1: (laughs) The oracles have communed together and said, Do not go for the soup of the day. Order the ribs instead. Ooh.
2: The oracles have decreed that all ribs will be a dry rub. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, we're making. We have to get. We have to laugh because the subject matter is incredibly dark.
2: Yeah, because what they end up telling him is like, "Hey, you. You know, you were right about all that stuff you said to Jim. The cops aren't paying attention. They're not connecting any of these murders." and we don't know what to do and no one's listening to us
1: yeah the the cops are not connecting what they see as being connectable crimes the worst detail that actually comes out the one that kind of like really sent a cold shiver down my spine is the child that's found with the used underwear stuffed in his throat
2: and it's not his
1: yeah and that the details like that i don't know like you talk about you know someone's you know strangled to death or you know like there's missing organs or stuff that doesn't make me bat an eyelid but the thought of that for some reason like just it's a cold horrible spine tingling shiver that goes right down my back um yeah
2: it's really awful
1: Yeah, it's just like a horrible, like, I don't know. It's like a defilement of the body above and beyond the defilement of the body. And, like, what I love about the performances is you've got one of the mothers is very strong um, and, you know, like, nasty shit happened to her but it's the one mother whose kid's still out there and she at first is kind of but she just breaks down and it's fucking horrific
2: right and then uh, uh oh, i can't think of her name right now we'll talk about her more in the next episode but the, mm. the the very strong woman it actually says that woman that just broke down and ran out of here is one of the strongest women i've ever met yeah and that uh, just
1: goes to show the impact
2: right and she's like look here's this scrapbook this is everything that we know everything we've collected all the information that the police just are telling us it doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. and ford is like i promise i'm gonna try to help and they're like you can take your promises and shove them right up your ass fbi agent ford (laughs) like we've been promised lots of shit just try to get something done yeah and then we cut from that to bill who is coming out of his fancy new office and Wendy stops and is like, hey, aren't you supposed to be with Holden? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I had a book. <clears throat> and uh, Holden went on without me. <laughs> and she's like, um, wasn't he crazy recently? And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jim's with him. And I checked. Yeah,
1: I- a- I'm sure he's over it. You know what
2: I mean, right? Like you get he, over
1: you get, you know, everyone gets over that shit quick, don't they?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh that's why they call it shell shock. It happens fast.
1: Yeah, there was a little hyperventilation between friends, but
2: Right, you know, a little bit of thorazine. You're back on your feet. Everybody's happy, and yeah. uh, but he's like, yeah, I got somebody babysitting him. It's cool. Plus, I talked to him last night, and he said the interview went fine, and I'm headed down there now. And she's like, all right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, just kind of, it's like, whatever, man. Just, it, you guys are apparently doing your own thing now and, and fuck me. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we go back to Atlanta where Jim does, uh, end up meeting Holden for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And, um, Holden is like, hey, uh, last night I met all these mothers, and Jim's like, oh, they found you pretty quick.
1: Yeah, I met the three mothers. Ah,
2: Domino's. Y'all come in for the best biscuits you ever had. <laughs> as well as prophecies, old and hoary. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, Holden's like, I, I'm gonna look into the case, and Jim's like, Well, oh, you need to hold the fuck on."
1: That isn't like yeah, right. Let's let's just you be you. Your plane landed less than 24 hours ago. Let's just
2: chill. Right. He's like, look, th- the police have not admitted that there is a killer, mm-hmm. and if you don't want to end up on the front page again. How about we just take this the way you ought to, which is let me schedule a meeting with this guy, uh, this commissioner, who's like the mayor's right-hand man. And he's like, things don't go the way down here that they do in Virginia. And Holden uh, says, yeah, I'm beginning to notice that. And you're like, yeah, fucking Sherlock Holmes over here, finally <laughs> coming around the idea that Atlanta may be a little racist. <laughs>
1: Indubitably, my dear Barney.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm thinking of interviewing another kiddo, Bonnie. Would you like to come? Uh, but yeah. So they go interview, uh, Hans, who is their first black serial killer, mm-hmm. and he tells Hans this. Is,
1: st- Hans is fucking hilarious, <laughs> like, I, unintentionally hilarious.
2: Well, I mean, it's played for laughs even in the show, but again, it's kind of gallows humor for sure. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, Hans is this dude who murdered uh, a girl uh, or several girls, and then wrote a letter to the police trying to pin it on a white supremacy group.
1: Yeah. Whilst first, like, <laughs> like to get the the full level of the joke here is he kidnaps and murders a woman, then posthumously sends a letter to the police saying that he has kidnapped said woman and will kill her if he doesn't get a ransom because he is of a white nationalist group. And when he does kill her, this is where he's going to put the body, which is where he'd already put the body. Um, Right. And every time Holden tries to extract a little bit more information and kind of, I mean, very lightly pointing back the flaw... In this design, this guy doubles down,
2: right? And he and Holden at one point is like, "That's a very complicated story." Yeah, and Hans says, "Yeah, thank you."
1: He thinks it's a compliment.
2: Yeah, and it's uh, my note here was, "It's a real Marx Brothers of murder logic here."
1: Oh yeah, yeah. This is like the party of the first party will be, you know, right? Like
2: not- no, no, no reason breaking up a friendship over that. <laughs> Hey, how come yours is a little shorter? Uh, I watched that bit within the past week. It is beautiful. Um, Anyway if you haven't seen it (laughs) listeners it's the marx brothers a night at the opera it's one of the funniest movies
1: ever that inducts it maybe to the greatest marx brothers movies or maybe the two of the greatest comedies ever made
2: yeah they're just if you if you've never watched the marx brothers it's it's funnier than you would ever think it it would be from that era
1: yeah it's like being slapped in the face with a hundred jokes that your brain takes about five seconds to comprehend the amount of jokes that went in there and then they'll hit you later on as well and make you laugh
2: yeah that i i don't know if you were aware of this but before they would film the movies the marx brothers would tour around and basically do all the bits from the movies in front of audiences like vaudeville touring vaudeville kind of shows I did not know that and and that's how they got the timing and they knew how long to sit after a joke in the movie because mm. they knew how long the laugh was generally that came after a joke. So when you see those takes of like Groucho Marx, like you know, turning away with that look on his face, it's like they're they're waiting for the laugh to die. Yeah, because they, fucking great. Yeah, it's so cool. Like the Marx Brothers are so brilliant, and Groucho Marx and T. S. Eliot were pen pals.
1: Well, just dropping factoids here, Bo.
2: I'm a big Groucho Marx fan because he's a fascinating person. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think he's also hysterical. Um, Anyway, this isn't about my love of the Marx Brothers. That's going to be on (laughs) Duncan and Bo Duck Soup. Mm. (laughs) A night at the Duncan and Bo? I don't know. Uh,
1: Um, We'll we'll find a way to make it happen.
2: Right. And uh, we ought to just do a commentary on Night at the Opera let's just do that all then. right well that's what we'll do um so that uh it's
1: our show we can do whatever
2: we want. it's true I, I keep forgetting that sometimes and then um jim again like because holden is just like this he was a fucking idiot
1: yeah <laughs> like he once again checks out
2: yeah it is just out of it and jim uh, gets hands to kind of open up a little bit and what the interesting part of the interview is Is when he's like, you know, these girls who were murdered, why did you, why did you kill the white one? Mm. Because, you know, the question is, the theory that the behavioral science unit is kind of debating is serial killers kill within, they hunt within their own race.
1: Which, I mean, statistically is still predominantly true.
2: Right. And so, especially...
1: occasionally, you get crossover.
2: And, and... They're like, well, what was different about the white girl? Why did you kill her? And he and Hans is like, I never really paid attention to it. She just was around.
1: Yeah, and she gets the vicious killing as well. Yeah, like, like you not know, see so drives over her like, in five times or something.
2: And and kind of to echo also something that Pierce said, he said that the first girl he killed, it was because she was just so loud that she wouldn't shut up, and yeah. he had to quiet her down. And Anyway, so then after their interviews, uh, Jim and Holden go to meet with a cop who is watching a bunch of white supremacists from a blood simple stakeout. If ever I saw one, <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you boys doing here? Huh? And in uh, yeah, Russia, you know, in Russia, you watch <laughs> a Ku Klux Klan. These boys down there are going simple in the head i was <laughs> so happy right now <laughs> and they're like uh hey so you know what do you what do you think about all these murders you know from a, as a detective point of view who's who's in charge of at least a couple of the cases uh because they're all they're not linked so they're all just like these open open and or semi-closed cases that are just floating in the legal ether of the Atlanta police. And, um, and, in our M M A Walsh character here. It's just like, I don't, I don't think there's a link. And because they're like, he, he says they're different genders. It's different, uh, causes of death. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, to be honest, I hate to say it, but you want to catch this boy, you're going to need more bodies. And they're like, you know, that's grim and <laughs> we'll take <laughs> off. And so then he goes to, um, back to Tanya is her name at the hotel. The, uh, the sexy chick, what works the counter.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: uh, he, she's like, well, what did you find out? He's like, actually, I had a meeting today and I'm going to do some follow up, and, you know, I'm going to kind of, you know, consult and whatnot from afar. And she's like, give me that scrapbook back. you <laughs> piece of Shit. <laughs>
1: Give me that randy right ass you...
2: <laughs> you, absolute piece of human garbage! I don't want your fingerprints on this.
1: Well, and... yeah, because like he came in all hot and heavy about what how great it was, and he he it, it appears from her perspective that he is doing what every other cop has done thus far.
2: Of course, yeah, just paying lip service to it. He's like, hey, I'm gonna you know keep keep tabs on this and whatnot. And uh, and but he's also like statistically, there's a lot of dead kids around here, and she's like, you know what? Those numbers have names. Yeah. And he's like, fuck. I yeah, got nothing. I got he nothing. Yeah. I fucked up. I fucked up. That is hard for Holden Ford to admit. Yeah. And so then back at Quantico, Holden and Bill and Wendy are listening to tapes of of the interviews. And as soon as they finished the tape, Holden's like, "What do you think?" And they're like, "You're a piece of shit, dude. You didn't do <laughs> jack. Yeah, you sat and did sweet fuck
1: all. It was, it was fucking Jim here who saved the day by, you know, pushing the topics." He's like, "Listen, these guys are not intelligent. They're me all the rest." And well like, as if as if the room couldn't get any more like kind of hostile. You get this great bit where, like everyone's least favorite <laughs> fucking member of the team, um, Greg chips in by quoting fucking Aristotle, right. <laughs> and yeah. you're like Bell's face is a fucking picture.
2: With it's skin. dude, it's so great. It, it, it's like, hey, what about the essentialist theory? And they're like, the fuck did you just say, Greg? <laughs> Someone's talking to you, Greg. <laughs>
1: like. And basically, what Greg actually cleverly links to the fact that maybe there are more ways to interpret the the patterns of a serial killer, out with gender and skin color. He link he links it down specifically to the fact that all the 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 victims of Hans uh, wore uniforms. Um, similar uniforms to his army uniform or whatever it was, but linked to that way, uh, which obviously gives them pause for thought about, you know, what maybe we need to, once again, re-examine the way we are. Uh, like, not only... Uh, interviewing but wording the questions and um whilst he's doing that and they're like yeah kind of some of them are like good work greg bill hates greg holden hates greg um and then w- and Wendy the-
2: gives bill a real mm-hmm, look after yeah. after greg finishes it's like you know well they were both in uniforms and wendy shoots bill that look like see yeah. motherfucker
1: yeah but we'll find out very quickly that as, as high as Greg climbs, he is uh, about to come crashing down very, very soon on the episode, which, uh, yeah. <laughs> <He's> yeah. <kidding.
2: laughs> also, there's a real good gun snub in a minute uh, yeah. as well. But anyway, so um, Wendy is, is like, you know, it's good that we had Barney there uh, again, fucking with Holden, And he's just like, gosh, guys, I'm really having kind of a day here. and so bill then in in maybe the best scene of the of the whole episode is attending a local meeting at church where our our cop in charge is laying out some details of the case to some of the heads of the community and people in the neighborhood and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and and they're just like like the people in the in the crowd are like you fucking lying piece of shit cop well
1: these are these are the people that were at his barbecue
2: yeah and are, are just like listen we need to know what's going on is this some cult shit this is almost a hundred percent a cult and you're not doing <laughs> shit about that and uh, he, meanwhile he's like man calm down shit <laughs> if you knew what these eyes had seen man and bill has to stand up and be like hey All you, you guys need to simmer down. And yeah, like some of you
1: guys know me, some of you don't. But you know, I can vouch for this guy. This guy's doing as much as he can, and let's just all settle down. We'll find out what happened. The one thing I can tell you right now is none of our kids were involved, and that's why I can be so confident right now.
2: Right. (laughs) Since none of this has anything to do with what will happen to me or the people I love in the near future yeah uh but yeah so he's like everybody chill the fuck out he's doing a good job and then we we cut to wendy who uh is trying to get her personal life kick-started by having uh, a bath and a couple of glasses of wine and then goes down to see that uh bartender what she was making fuck eyes at
1: and she is smoking
2: Uh uh-huh and basically is like where would a girl go to have fun and the bartender <laughs> is like, "Well, like, uh, do you want a tour guide or a date?" Mm-hmm. And Wendy is like, "A date, baby." Mm-hmm. And uh, and and so that's kind of where it ends. Is is Wendy deciding that she's going to get it wet? Yeah, <laughs> she's doing shots.
1: I love that. that. That would never happen in the UK. I'll tell you now. You never go into a bar, speak to your bartender, and then they would bring you two shot glasses and fill them with whiskey. And then just, like, no one pays, apparently. That just doesn't happen in the UK.
2: You know, I have been in bar situations where that has happened, where the, where the bartender has poured a drink for each of us, and... That's what I mean. Like, yeah. God
1: bless America. Like, for all your faults, and you have many. <laughs> like, your bartenders <laughs> don't know many, how to treat but, their patrons.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. No, the bartenders are pretty good around here. Mm-hmm. Um, our Our next episode, episode four uh we we begin with a car prowling through the alleys of atlanta
1: yep and i'm like that Ooh, atlanta child murderers Uh
2: because it's a guy like convincing a kid to get in his car like hey i got a job for you i'll give you two dollars if you get in and the kid's like i'm not getting in there he's like that's because you're scared and he's like i'm not scared and like basically talks him into getting into the car Mm-hmm. and then we roll credits and it's like oh my god we just saw the next you know child being abducted uh it turns out that was all a ruse
1: yeah filled you boy. yeah
2: didn't film me. me at all boy. orchestrated by holden who was just saying like hey how easy would it be to convince some of these kids to get in a car
1: you would think it would be easy with that sort of bravado and then we see how quickly that, that technique can fall apart when given to Greg.
2: <laughs> Fucking Greg. We cut to Maryland where Greg Greg McWhitey-Whiterson <laughs> yeah, is like <laughs> Hey there, children. Would you hey like... There, little kids. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all wanna get in the van? Uh... <laughs> And and they're just like Fuck you, Whitey. <laughs> it's like it, it's like they don't just turn him down. And then they're like there are women sticking their head out the window, like, what are you doing here? Yeah. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, missus. <laughs> yeah, and they're just like, Get the fuck out of here, Greg. We don't know if that's your name, but you look like a Greg.
1: <laughs> Nothing is coming up, Greg.
2: No. Oh, nor will it. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Greg is eternally the whipping boy. And then <laughs> Bill uh, Bill is going over some BTK stuff mm-hmm. in, in relation.
1: PhD, sweet BTK stuff. Mm. A- and
2: when you. <laughs> well, that's weird. Um, <laughs> hmm. Hmm.
1: Well, B- BTK stands for bacon, tomato, and kraut, doesn't
2: it? And kraut?
1: Yeah, as in sauerkraut.
2: Sounds pretty good, actually.
1: You try to tell me you wouldn't have a, a tasty fucking sandwich with that on it right I, now?
2: If you served up a BTK with a side of kettle chips, I'd be all right. D- I'm telling you right now,
1: if it wasn't so late in my country, that I'd be having that right now, but it's too late to be eating. All I'm right. like a gremlin. I can't eat... Well, I'm like a gizmo or a mogwai. Can't eat past a certain time. We're close to that time.
2: So technically you could.
1: Well, I could, but then literally what you'd be hearing is... I like I got that. And then Greg said, there's not work. <laughs> like, That's no good. Right. Maybe it's an improvement, I don't know.
2: Whoever's there, you tell him to tap you on the head before he come. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well played, sir. Well played.
2: Um, so... <laughs> it's such a... Right, you're laughing joke. far
1: too hard at your joke, right? I Yes. It's I funny, but you right now are like, ah, I, yeah, he's a funny guy, Boy's a funny
2: guy. I'm proud of it than I should be. You're right. So, uh, but he called, uh, Bill is calling up McGraw, the crime dog. And uh, and if you'll remember, Duncan, way back in season one, there mm-hmm. was this case that included a woman what got murdered and oh. had uh um had a, a, a thing put in her bottom a broom handle
1: yes i do actually
2: and so he's calling up about that case and he's like is mcgrath around and uh the the cop who answers is like yeah he's not with us anymore and he's like oh that's a shame uh do you know how i can get in touch with him did he retire and he's like no nah, he's not with us as a species anymore
1: yeah read between the lines he's gone to he's gone to a better place he's um he's he's enjoying his new line of work playing harps for god
2: bereft of life he he rests in peace Mm. he's not pining for the fjords (laughs) And, (laughs) and uh anyway um He's like, Well, hey, uh, who's handling all of his cases now? And the and the guy's like, Well, that's me. And um uh, he's like, All right, well, I might have some information and let me let me send some stuff over to you and, and vice versa. And then uh Bill is on his way to do that when Wendy calls him in to see Holden's presentation on the Atlanta Child murders.
1: <laughs> yeah. Remember when we said that Holden at times can jump the gun? You know, it can get a bit too intense. Uh, and it's almost as if that, remember when Jim was like, hold on, pump right. the brakes, let's take a deep breath, count to ten. It's almost as if that went in one ear and out the other. Right.
2: Well, Bill's first question is, so how did we get involved with this case? Who invited <laughs> us to, to to look at it?
1: And <laughs> he's like, like, no one, no one, absolutely no one. I'm not, I'm not, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then Holden's like, listen, any second like, any second now, Ted's going to and Ted walks in the door. (laughs) He's like, Ted! (laughs) Yay! Because Ted, remember Ted? Everyone remembers Ted. Ted's the new boss and Ted is all about that that cookie, crazy Holden.
2: Yeah, and Holden's like, hey, you're just in time. I was about to give my big profile.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He's like, oh, really? Well, let me pull up a seat then and entertain us all.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and Holden's like, get ready. You're you may want to hold on to your socks because I'm about to <laughs> knock them right off. It's a black guy.
1: It's a black guy. And he is in an age range of about 15 years. And the reason I think he's a black guy is because if he was a white guy, he would have been noticed in a black neighborhood. Can I get an amen? A hallelujah. Or anyone want to give me a high five right, right. now? Don't leave me hanging. Don't Case me hanging.
2: closed. <laughs> it's like, book him, Bill. Yeah. And everybody's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, are you fucking high right now? Uh, wh- what did Greg put you up to this? You fucking Greg. Oh, Greg, I swear to Christ. And Bill is like, you know, we'd need to actually, you know, investigate to see if there's actually anything to this.
1: Yeah, you got all that without seeing a fucking crime scene.
2: And Wendy has a great line here where she's like, well, while uh, nothing that. Uh, Agent Ford said, "Approached anything like science, yeah." <laughs> and everyone in this room is a little dumber for having heard it.
1: Yeah, she says that, and everyone's like, oh,
2: "Yeah, it, it was a pretty good burn." And and but she's like, "There could be something there. Like there, I. It's too early to say. We don't know anything about this." And Gunn is like, "You know what? We haven't been invited in on this case. Keep it under the radar. Like, keep an eye on it." but we are not officially involved.
1: Yeah. Well, let's let's not, let's not with me in charge, having just smoothed over the clusterfuck that was the previous administration's business dealings, let's not go straight ahead and take a massive dump in the fucking Atlanta swimming pool. Right? Let's just maybe hold back on that. Can we all do that? High five. Right? Let's right. Go. go. High fives all around... With- Fuck yeah. you, Greg! Love you, Not Holden. you. Holden. Yeah, love you, the Holden. You're my hero, Greg. Like going start. Uh, the fact he keeps dismissing him out of the room whenever he wants to talk to people, like whenever he it's... wants to talk to a teammate, as is fucking amazing.
2: I think I think it happens a little later in this one where they're like, "Oh, Gunn wants to see us in his office," and they're like, "Not you, Greg."
1: Yeah, he does it at least twice in this episode, and it's... it makes me so fucking happy.
2: Yeah. It, oh, it's so funny. Hey guys. <laughs> uh, but all right. So then, Wendy. Could even
1: talk a child into your car.
2: Just kind of fucking FBI agent. You you are you are a failure at even being a pervert. Well done, Greg. Fucking well done, Greg. I mean, you just watch your wife have sex with someone else, don't you, Greg? Isn't that how (laughs) how that goes? Isn't that how that works? That's that's how you get excited, Greg.
1: It's a sexual name for that, and it's Greg.
2: Being Greg, Greggleded. <laughs> That's right, Greg. <laughs>
1: Fucking Greg.
2: Um. <laughs> meanwhile, Wendy is uh going on a hot date w- w- to the t- the the tunes of Annie DeFranco as she pulls mm-hmm. up, uh, which made me laugh. I was like, I went out with a girl who really liked Annie DeFranco. Uh, there you go. Anyway, but she picks up the sexy bartender, uh, who takes uh Wendy bowling and. Like the bartender's real free spirited. She's like, Hey, uh, you need to put on some bowling shoes. And and um, uh, Wendy is like, Oh man, th- those things are disgusting. She's like, Fine, I won't wear shoes either. I'm bohemian. And <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they talk a little bit about Wendy's last relationship with her professor that you know was trying to control her and blah 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 and then wendy gets all uh sexy with Kay, is the bartender's name um because Kay is like teaching her the proper bowling stance and stuff it's just a total move to well yeah because
1: they're all it. like you know it's such a cliche i fell in love with my chair my chair kind of used me i'm so impressionable the rest. what's your story and she's like that well, yeah i walked out with my husband and my kid and we're like oh shit <laughs>
2: Right, yeah, I I did real shit, and
1: yeah, yeah, you're like I feel so sorry for you being on a university campus and being looked after by a very wealthy academic.
2: And she says, uh, you know, if you are looking for someone excruciatingly honest, then that's me. And and
1: of course, that's exactly what she wants. I mean, that's practically her science, <laughs> like
2: so. And then they kiss. Mm-hmm. So yay for early eighties, uh, lesbian love. Yeah, Quantico. and no
1: one, uh, the reason she chose to bowl alley is no one gives a fuck. Yeah,
2: no one gives a shit. It's great. And anyway, so then Wendy and the team are prepping to interview Henley, um, mm. who is not necessarily a killer himself. He was a uh, an accomplice of the... Dean Correll. Yeah, Dean, uh, Dean Correll, the um, candy candy man. Is what yeah, he was called.
1: He was actually legitimately one of those guys that is like a proper fucking boogeyman. So yeah,
2: he was uh, terrifying. But he enlisted uh, this guy Henley as well as the, and one other dude, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm, um, that's right. that to to basically recruit uh, young kids, like you know teenagers and just before, mm-hmm. and um, to that like he would capture them and then bind them up and rape them and kill them. And it was yeah. terrible. And yeah. uh, they want to interview Henley because they want to capture something of the accomplice dynamic. Like what what happens in, in a case where someone is just assisting the real yeah. monster.
1: And it's not only that he just assisted, he ultimately killed Dean Crowe. Right. So.
2: Yes, that's right. She's like, look, we're we're looking for this team dynamic and then this is where they get a note like, Hey, uh, you need to meet, um, gun upstairs. And Mm -hmm. this is where Bill's like, not you, Greg.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's very funny. And so they go upstairs to meet with gun, except for Greg. And he's like, Hey, we got a ransom call on one of these, uh, child, missing children in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and um, Holden is like oh well if it's kidnapping that's federal and that means we can get involved and Gunn is like that's absolutely right but what you're gonna let the you're gonna let the New York FBI office kind of handle the kidnapping side of things because we don't give a shit about that You, while you're down there, you see what you can do about linking these murders together and seeing if there's truly, is there a monster on the loose in Atlanta? Mm -hmm. So, um, in the elevator, there's a great moment where he kind of goes around and he's like, um, you know, Holden, I want you to use your intuition and Bill, you use your investigative skills and Wendy, you make sure that everything is uh, in the strictest scientific (laughs) <laughs> uh it's inc- incontrovertible and they go to the elevator and wendy rightly asks, like the fuck was the point of me being in that meeting
1: yeah because like that's it's like i mean it's it's like <laughs> it's such an a, like an asine thing to ask her to do right i want you to make sure that you're a scientist scientist <laughs> like, <laughs> right <laughs> and it is it's that it is that kind of weird why is she in the room and it's it's once again it's just Ted playing games here. He doesn't want any, he wants everyone working towards one cause, which is basically to give Holden all the support he needs because he's the shining star of the team. And that means making sure there's no like animosity between specifically Bill and Wendy. So if they're both in the room together, then neither one is being shown as a favourite. Um, and it's very, you can she can see right through this. And yeah. um yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of funny where they're like, you know, this is this is what this is what one you to do, and she's like in the elevator going, Why the fuck was I even in there? Like and they're like, yeah, oh, well, you know, they were kind of thinking the same. Or oh, but I think is they, they weren't thinking the same. That was the point. Right. But like she said to raise that up, they've just been like, Yep, yep, let's let's get on with this. And once again, highlights, although it's, it's, it sets up a question, which is addressed in the next episode, which we'll get to on the next episode, um, about exactly what her role can be. And can she move out with that role?
2: Right. And, um, so Wendy, uh, like Bill and Holden kind of fuck off, get ready to go to Atlanta and Greg stops off and it's, it's like, <laughs> uh, what, what do you want, Greg? Now it's not the time. And he's like, well, when should we reschedule the Henley interview? it was like, should we? Because they're going to be gone for a while and I can do this, says Greg.
1: Yeah, Greg's like, listen, we don't need these guys. You know me, I'm Greg. Right. I mean, I could talk kids into a car. Right. That never happened, but I'm confident. I could be confident.
2: When has Greg ever let you down?
1: <laughs> Give me a second while I send these confidential tapes upstairs and get everyone in trouble.
2: Right. And so, uh, Wendy slides him a stack of, of folders for upcoming interviews. And it's like, all right, you know, let's do this. Well, you and I, I, I wish I thought of it myself. And mm-hmm. so, uh, Bill and Holden arrive at the headquarter for the kidnapping in Atlanta, which is basically an old storefront with butcher paper on the windows and, uh, some guys sitting around swapping stories around a card table
1: yeah there's a whole lot of nothing going on here
2: yeah and finally like jim comes down the stairs and bill's like well at least somebody here is doing something (laughs) and he's like yeah let me introduce you to the the head of this task force and they're like hey here's the thing we think this is bullshit but we're watching these bridges and the cutoff points and this area around the house and we're gonna you know we're doing what we can uh that this phone call that came in the guy said uh, he was a white supremacist and, you know, is, is demanding a ransom and he's mm-hmm. going to call it this time.
1: Yeah, it's so like a ransom for like $200. Uh,
2: which even, ba- even back then isn't a lot of money. Sure. And, but, uh, you know, nobody is actually think this is, actually believes that this is a kidnapping. Yeah. And, uh, but Barney, Jim Barney is like, hey, you're going to meet with this commissioner, who is the mayor's right hand man, mm-hmm. and then we see Wendy and Car, uh, Wendy Carr and Greg on their way to interview Henley, and she's given Greg a real pep talk, like you're gonna you're gonna be great, Greg. You're really yeah,
1: like Greg is starting to like, you know, if you've ever been in a prison before, <laughs> like that, you, you know, I hear bad things happen to going to prisons, and she's like, yeah, I've been in there, I was in there as a grad student and. Like, did you get out and she's like obviously i'm sitting in the car <laughs> right like it,
2: it's it's no big deal greg just fucking sack up for two seconds <laughs> it's gonna be fine and uh greg's like all right all right uh, uh and then they they're on their way into the prison and, and
1: it comes out with another statistic which is just fucking like it's like yeah this is what she needs
2: to hear just before she goes in well and not only is he belching off you know, ominous statistics, he's also, like, when they're making him sign his way in, he's like, well, let me read this. And Wendy is like, are you fucking kidding me with this right now? Like, can we g- <laughs> can we go on and do this interview? And he's like, well, I always sign everything, or I read everything I sign. And mm. she's like, oh, Jesus Christ, Greg. <laughs> For fuck's sake, Greg. I mean, can we just move on with our lives? And so... They go in to interview Henley, who's kind yeah. of a younger guy, probably at this point, like mid to late 20s. Yeah, F that, yeah. And he's, like, Greg is just going off of the script, you know, off, yeah. off, off the off the question list, where he's like, let's talk about your childhood. And Henley's like, nope.
1: Yeah, well, if I don't want to talk about that. Right. And he's like,
2: um... Well a questionnaire says you kinda have to. Yeah, he's like, Well, what about job experience? Would you describe it as uh <laughs> full time employment? Or and he's just like, What? No, we're not talking about that either. And yeah. then uh then Greg is like, Well, Wayne, what are we supposed to? And he's like, Don't you ever call me that? And Carr kind of butts in and is like, why didn't you like him using your name? Yeah, you know, is it mm. your father's name that? Bothers your father's
1: me? name, that's right. Yeah,
2: and then she tells him basically the story of her relationship with this professor because uh, she can't stop talking about the girl she just broke up with.
1: Yeah, and-, and there's also that thing about like no one knows her sexual orientation, which like I, I mean I imagine was still probably a big deal in like government positions back then.
2: I mean, it's not, not a deal now, you know, Hmm. I mean, really it, it, if someone were to, uh, to come out as gay in the company I work for, it would be a deal. Really? Yeah. Like nobody, it wouldn't be a thing where, uh, like he, he wouldn't get fired or anything like that, but it would be like, oh, this is going to be a problem for some of the employees here.
1: Wow. That's fucking weird. Like, I worked with someone who was a local politician who just came out as gay a couple of years ago. Just like, literally, just as a matter of fact. It isn't, I mean, worked with me for another year before moving into a proper career in politics. Bought a house with his new boyfriend, who's now his fiance. They're getting married next year. And no one batted an eyelid in the company <laughs> like, at all. It was like, yeah, good for you. Well done.
2: Yeah. I mean, right. The, the, it's how it ought to go, of yeah,
1: course. But she's
2: very secret, so no one knows about
1: this. So when she's pulling this story out to give across to uh, to their interviewee, like greg's sitting there, like looking at her as if she's houdini pulling some magic trick just out her bag, as if this is this fake story that she's just fabricated on the fly to get some details and of course it does the trick it gets the conversation going um and greg's no longer participating in the interview at this point he's a spectator much to my happiness
2: yeah yeah and it's you know wendy Carr kind of spreading her wings a little bit and 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 sort of doing what holden does which is i'm just going to have kind of a conversation i'm not going to provoke the way that holden does but you know very pointedly asking uh about things like you know well how did you get started and and um it was he started robbing things for for Dean Corle and then you know Dean would start asking him hey you know how would you feel about killing somebody like if you were robbing someone and you had to shoot them well, what would you think about that and that it was sort of how he got seduced into the idea of murder and mm-hmm. you know she's like well that must have been hard when you killed him because it's somebody it's the only person that had ever looked up to you or given you any kind of respect you know someone that uh that meant a lot to you and henley kind of freaks out at the implication that he could be gay like he keeps insisting throughout this that like you know i'm not like them i'm not gay nothing ever happened between me and dean but there's you know a lot of question marks around that even even in the real relationship
1: well yeah he keeps playing off that the other accomplice was more interested in that and not him right and so it wasn't that dean was playing them off against each other or anything like that this was just how it was and of course like we like if you've read a bit of the case that's maybe not the way the case indicates things going but his reactions are are kind of visceral and on some level they're very blase about other things where he's basically saying listen um, this was all money to me it was all business I didn't care about what he was making me do in fact if anything I didn't feel anything I was completely detached from from what was happening you know that didn't mean anything to me at all yeah. and it is that kind of the lady doth protest a little bit too much um, the more he kind of doubles down on that the more she focuses on that as you know potential questioning from him um, and we don't really get that much more from him as a you know interviewee, kind of just he adds another kind of facet here. This this whole scene is set up as a way to and we'll get the information later on, is basically to set up this idea of Wendy's realization that she has to actually be a bit more holden at times. Um and while she was telling the true story, it's this idea that if we have to kind of lie to Get people to open up a bit more, that's kind of okay, even though I've told you it's scientifically flawed or maybe not ethical at this point. You know, maybe we should just go with it. Also, allows her to be herself. And get that story out, like you say, which is like she's not carrying any weight around her neck at all into this new relationship.
0: <laughs> the right. The fact
1: that she's like, in the space of 24 hours, like went into two deep conversations about her flawed ex uh, and their relationship is, is kind of telling. And I think that's, well, I obviously don't know, you know, but that might play out a bit more as the season goes on.
2: Perhaps, Duncan. I'll never <laughs> tell. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so uh bill and holden meanwhile in atlanta are going over the details of the cases and bill keeps getting calls from home and he's yeah he's,
1: he's busy when the calls are coming in and by the time there's like three missed calls from his wife he's like yeah and if i'm him i'm like that you know it's not as if bad things are happening at home at the moment and maybe but in his head he's like that you know fucking nance again phoning me right Just deal with that i took the sign down i've handed your shoes and yeah it was horrible i didn't give you all the details i stopped when you asked me to i've, I've spoken at the church everyone's cool
2: right right like you know keep brian and uh, on the rubber sheets and everything's golden <laughs> and also commissioner brown the the right hand man of the mayor has shown up and yep. wants to get briefed on you know how how they're handling the kidnapping call and whatnot and Holden, you know, and the, so the commissioner gives a gets the rundown of like, well, we're going to tap the line, and we're doing this and this and this, and Holden's like, that's all bullshit. <laughs> 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 yep. <Yeah. laughs> nope. Holden says no. Um, <laughs> oh, it's and, not far off, and that's we're laughing, but it's really
1: not that far off. He's it, basically. It really like, isn't are you going to stand here and listen to any more of this bullshit or are you going to listen to science
2: science bitches and <laughs> and he's like look i believe you guys have a serial killer and by the way uh he's probably a black man age 22 to 35 yeah, when he
1: says that like jim's like you do not just fucking sue that in front of the first black mayor that we've caught
2: yeah and they're just like oh god damn it and So the commissioner ends up leaving. He's like, good job, gentlemen. I appreciate all you're doing. And then Bill finally gets called away where they're like, no, really, this is your wife. You need to talk to her. And uh, he's like, what is it, Nance? And she's like, you're really good, by the way. Thanks. Uh, And and she's like, you need to come home now. And he's like, what's going on? And they're they're like, look, um, the cops are here. And mm-hmm. they, they say they're that they need to talk to us and they need both of us here. And Bill's like, All right, uh are are they trying to talk to Brian? And she's like, I think so, and he's like, You do not let them anywhere near him until I get there. Mm-hmm. And uh I'll be there as soon as I can. And then he hangs up with her, cruises by Holden is like, Hey, Nancy's mom fell or something whatever
1: <laughs> yeah. some bullshit excuse
2: <laughs> yeah and then i'm gone and they're like all right see you later i mean do what you got to do i guess and then we cut there's a quick scene where we cut over to a uh, car and greg uh mm-hmm. in the car after um the interview with henley and greg is like wow that crazy make up about you being gay that was crazy also i'm <laughs> sorry i'm such a piece of shit and she's like, it's fine, Greg. Just yes, you were terrible about yes, everything. No
1: one, no one likes you either, Greg. I'm I'm gonna be truthful. I'm I i, I do not even know why we're in this car together. I
2: kinda hate you. However,
1: like I'm a professional and that's all that matters.
2: Right. And <laughs> and so then we cut over to Holden, who goes to meet Camille is her name. Uh one of the mothers, the real like strong presence from the last episode. And, and he's
1: like <laughs> Yes, it is I, the policeman. He is back to save the day, and I'm here for motherfucking good. And right. He's like,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> there's a great moment. Like, and that's kind of the whole scene, is just him being like, No, I, I told you I was gonna come back. Here I am, we're gonna solve this. Mm-hmm. And she's like, All right. And as he's leaving, she goes, Get yourself some of that cornbread on the table. And he grabs it and she's like it's a dollar <laughs> and it's really, I like the move of like, Hey, be sure you grab one of those on the way out and be sure you put the money in the donation jar for it too. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a nice move on her part. Uh, then we cut to the, the house of the mother. This is just the saddest shit ever.
1: Yeah. Once again, this show, this show very very quickly reminds you and pivots you around to the fact that right, we're, there's a lot of fictional shit happening here, but a lot of this stuff actually did fucking happen, and it's terrifying.
2: Yeah, and it it, it turns out that what Holden had suspected that this kidnapping phone call uh, was never going to come, mm. and it hasn't. And and the cops are like, well, we need to start packing shit up. And the mother's like, you can't, you can't, he's going to call. And it's just heartbreaking because it's like, it's that acknowledgement of as soon as they start to put this stuff away, it means the call's not going to come. Yeah. And
1: And if she's been paying attention, like everyone else has been paying attention when the police come out, that's it. She's not going to see the police again. Right. Unless the body comes, you know, exactly.
2: Yeah. That's the next phone call she's going to get. And Commissioner Brown shows up and is like, hey, uh, Holden, you were right about this, that, you know, this does seem to be the work of uh, a single killer. And by the way, how about you get the fuck out of Atlanta?
1: Well, yeah, this is the thing. He's like, Holden's like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Not a kidnapping at all. And he's like, well, you know, because it's not a kidnapping now. There ain't no
2: federal jurisdiction here. So Uh bye-bye. (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and so Jim and Holden just get in their car, and Holden's like, what just happened, man? Yeah, literally,
1: it's like, the, what just happened there?
2: Yeah, and Jim's like, that was the sound of the plug being pulled, man. We got, you know, that that's it. We're done. Like, nobody in, in this town wants, to, the black community doesn't want this killer to be black. They don't want the killer to be white. Like, nobody wants to believe that there's a killer out there at all. Mm-hmm. So Plus they're
1: trying to end the, the story earlier on about them building a new airport, try the white flight, trying to invest money in the town, right. which will very quickly not be invested under the fear of fucking a serial killer. who's kidnapping and killing children.
2: And and there's one of those moments where you do get the sense that, um, their former boss was right when he asked if, if Holden was dangerously naive. Yeah. Well, he is, though. yeah. Yeah, because he's like, Why race shouldn't matter like this? Yeah. And Jim's like, Yeah, it does, but I mean you're right, but it does, man. And mm-hmm. and you and you've got to play the politics of this. And and looking for a black suspect isn't gonna play well with you know the commissioner's constituency. Mm-hmm. So Bill arrives home and the police has like there's some cops and some police cruisers kind of littered out front and he walks in and the cop mcweepy is sitting on the couch (laughs) and it's just like hey before we talk you need to go talk to your wife she's outside crying which is Mm. never a good sign
1: no no it's not what you want to come back to after that flight (laughs) you know what i mean and then you land you're rushing home to find out what the fuck's going on here and then you find out straight away no uh, your wife is outside, and she's in tears. And then we get news, which, I mean, we're kind of called Bo, but at the same time hearing it's there. It's the justification, I think, more that lands with me than the actual what happens? Like, the thought process that you can imagine a child's logic would come up with this, that makes sense?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't get the, the crackpot theory just yet. In, yeah. in this scene, it's just, hey... Brian was there at the scene of the crime like we the the cops were interviewing Nancy and he heard mm-hmm. them talking and, and and he comes out with the key that was missing yeah says that he was there and that he seems to be the one whose idea it was to put the baby on the cross yeah and uh and Bill just gives Nancy a hug and credits
1: yeah that's, that's how you end an episode by the way
2: <laughs> right
1: I was like, holy shit!
2: Yeah. Tend your own backyard, Bill. You got, <laughs> you got crazy at home.
1: Yeah, we're, we're going to get into that in episode five, like, where Bill's a bit... He's now hyper-aware that maybe he's taking his eye off the ball at home. Yeah. And the last thing you want to do is go to a cult leader and speak to them about
2: it. Yeah, uh, Manson therapy is oh. no way to spend your time.
1: No, no, definitely not. Uh, Yeah, and that's right. Uh, Charles Manson will be on the next episode. But yeah, once again, two fucking great episodes. Love the inclusion of the Atlanta child murders. Once again, we're kind of... I mean, part of the show still feels like we're catering to that season one aesthetic of we need to sit down and chat to real-life serial killers in order to, you know, kind of remind you that that's where this show is grounded in, so um, whilst they weren't necessarily the most glamorous serial killers we got in this one, the conversations were quite interesting to an extent, but for me the, the the two bits that, well, the three bits that are my primary attention at the moment is the BTK stuff, which is still being just teased in the background, certainly the Atlanta child murder stuff, and what the fuck is going on with Bill and his adopted child, and um, Great. I mean, the acting is of such a high calibre in this show. I, I sometimes think that we kind of gloss over it um, in favour of talking about how great they are at doing the casting for the serial Killers and all the rest. But your core characters here are just fucking awesome uh, and really knocking it apart. The and there's a grimness and a bleakness to this show which uh, kind of hangs like a shadow over almost everything that happens. And... Um, I don't know. that I, I, I think this season has is, is proven to be a, a real joy to watch. I mean, the subject matter is not necessarily joyful, but it's it's a real joy to watch. It's tense, it's dramatic, it's fucking perfectly executed, and I'm loving it. What about yourself?
2: Yeah, I, I enjoyed this uh, show quite a bit. I think that this season has been uh, very good thus far. Um, I think you know. Here's the danger of the bill stuff. Uh, for me, playing a little devil's mm-hmm. advocate. Ooh, do it, do it. is that uh, there is I think the temptation at times to make uh something like a serial killer come home, like on your uh your your criminal minds, your shows like that, where it's like yeah. everybody uh who's on the team is either kidnapped or uh, held hostage by a murderer or something at least like five times in the course of the show, and it's like it, that's never going to happen. Like uh, like this this show is grounded in in a certain degree of realism, mm-hmm. and and I think you flirt with uh, the i with with being a little too convenient. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I I like I said I'm playing a little devil's advocate here because I know how all this works out, and it turns out just fine. <laughs> that's good to know yeah so uh yeah um I think that is gonna do it Duncan I think this uh is continues to be a, a very you know certainly kind of a grim show but it always like they're easy watches in a weird way because they, they it's are just,
1: surprisingly even though the tone is so heavy
2: yeah but they they're tremendously entertaining Mm -hmm. and doing notes for it and stuff like sometimes uh it can be a little bit of a slog you know when we're doing something that maybe ain't so good and Mm -hmm. so it's always a pleasure to do something like this where it's like man this is a breezy 50 minutes it it hardly feels like any time at all uh it's a real joy to watch again and again yeah Uh, i haven't
1: heard anything about like it being green lit for season three but i think it's pretty much all but in the bag
2: I think I saw something just this very day saying that season three had been given the, the thumbs up. I mean, that's
1: amazing. Like uh, David Fincher himself has said, he's got a five season story arc and totally could finish it in five seasons. And I say, he just let him do it.
2: Yeah. When I, uh, are you kidding me at this point in for a penny in for a pound, you know, like if yeah. you're going to do it's season David three, fucking
1: Fincher, you know what I mean? Right. That's what, that's what blows up. This is talked about this before whether it's us talking about nicholas wind and ref doing some stuff or whether we you 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 look at something like game of thrones which has got neil marshall working on that or you know like david lynch doing twin peaks or you know like when you have these 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 interesting names in cinema back in tv shows and doing what they do in that you know yes by all means netflix can afford to throw the money at it so give us five seasons netflix or fucking else
2: yeah or, or we go on a murder spree yes boy. that you will the be forced spree. to cover in a mark duplis produced documentary over five <laughs> episodes when it should have just been one
1: let's just do that anyway give us that as well netflix you can afford that
2: yeah come on netflix fucking netflix uh they're just the worst except for all the good stuff they do <laughs> um... So, uh, Duncan, where can people find more of you between now and next week? You
1: can find me on the podcast Under the Stairs. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast or tputzcast.com. Tons of stuff coming out over the next couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, tune in soon because Bo Ransdell will be uh, making a little appearance in the Summer t Top 10 Series. And uh, FYI, the two years he got to talk about were interesting ones, so...
2: Yeah, yeah. It it's fun to uh, it uh, one of the joys of doing those is, is always uh seeing like the audience response to it and being like, well, you know, are you guys going to talk about this movie and you know, who who stood up for this film or or ragged on this movie or whatever. And that mm-hmm. that stuff is always kind of fun. There's uh it, it's nice to do that without there being any real acrimony involved. It's just a, a lot of people kind of having fun. And yeah, that, because for for every
1: time someone will agree with your position, you have someone else that'll come and say, "No, I kind of actually agreed with the other folk." So, yeah, I think they're, they're always they're 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 great they're great fun. Like I, I see, I we spend months and months curating and creating a list which is in the grand scheme of things fucking meaningless, but I enjoy every second of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is meaningless fun. I think yeah. is a good way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Well,
1: because, well, you've got a brand new show that dropped.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, exclusive to the Legion podcast's feed, uh, there is a, a new show called Legion Inc., which is a, a bi-weekly uh, chat between me, and uh, who is stupid, and Jason Gray, <laughs> who knows a lot about comics. And uh, we talk about uh, actual like comic book releases and stuff like that. So, we're not just doing the movies and uh, although we talk about that and we're not just doing the TV shows, although we talk about that too. uh, We're talking about like good old fashioned in your hands, comic books. Yeah.
1: Did you get swept up in this? Let's, let's do sad faces for two massive billion, Multi-billion-dollar companies arguing over one small little bit of intellectual property.
2: I no, I mean, I of course I don't care at that level. I'm kind of bummed uh, only because I like this version of Spider-Man. I like mm-hmm. the what the the Marvel Universe has done with that character and the how uh the relationship between him and tony stark was so important and the fact that you just in theory aren't going to be able to talk about that anymore is a bummer you know that's kind of key to that character that they've created um so uh, there there's a couple of things that are like and eh, that seems disappointing that there are things that i would like to see happen that probably won't now mm-hmm. um but that's kind of it it's you know it's a Do one you think it won't been,
1: be resolved though
2: uh I I think it could go either way. I mean uh Studio don't underestimate the stupidity of two studios uh in, in involved in a in a pissing match cuz that's what this is. It's Yeah. You know, at the end of the day it was instead of give me 5% and and um you know, how about we pay for 50% production, but we split everything down the middle, which seemed relatively equitable to me. And I didn't mm-hmm. think it was an outrageous ask.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think that money made a shitload, that last movie made a shitload of money. So it's it's like saying it. Like, I, I just don't understand the position of people moaning that, like, one company now knows that their property is the best, like, it's the most commercially successful property they have so they want to negotiate a higher rate of payback i don't understand how that especially from a, a, a capitalistic society that you come from <laughs> And, and um, yeah
2: but also from sony's point of view what like you've got this pretty successful venom movie you're mm-hmm. about to do the sequel what if you had spiderman back mm-hmm. and could now bring that's that, that character like tom holland has basically said like i'm gonna keep playing spiderman
1: mm-hmm. and
2: you have that spiderman without the marvel trappings and now he's bouncing around with venom
1: was that Venom movie any
2: good i never saw it hey, It ain't the worst it's not great um it, it's it's more boring than it should be it takes forever for venom to show up but when that happens it's fun
1: yeah, because I, I read somewhere today not jumping in all over your shit on your show, but I read somewhere today that Woody Harrelson's been cast for the next one.
2: Yeah, he there he was uh, in the teaser in the first one as uh, ah. Cletus something Cassidy, Cletus Cassidy. The uh, the Carnage is his name in Ooh. the comics. Yeah, he's a serial killer. What gets a symbiote?
1: That seems amazing. Sign me up. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's how you get Duncan on board. You mind-hunter that shit.
2: Oh, yeah, and the comics are doing an event right now called Absolute Carnage that is all about that character, and it's like they're, they're making the push for that character to be popular. Um, yeah, you
1: get you get Carnage sit down at a table opposite Holden Ford and Bill Trench, and I am a happy fucking man.
2: It's, man, it looks like... Uh, woody harrelson is going to take that character for a walk too
1: oh Woody! like you get like the more bonkers you can give woody harrelson a character like he has played straight up you watch natural born killers that man has played straight up terrifying on screen so yeah give me that psychosis that's and that's in that guy's blood so yeah oh yes
2: yeah i i think that's kind of what you're gonna get um at any rate uh, so you can hear that on legionpodcasts.com. dot com. You can hop over there, subscribe to the feed, and that's where you can get that show. And nowhere else, but uh, it's it's really fun, and and you know it it's fun to kind of talk about that stuff outside of just the movies and stuff. To be like, hey, here's here's a, a little bit deeper dive on on sort of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, of course, Pick Six movies is, is happening uh that uh the finale uh for that will be uh coming up as this airs and uh that'll be funny and uh yeah i don't know other stuff there's some uh <laughs> they like too pl- much
1: stuff there's always too much stuff
2: it, it is it is so uh but it you know uh it keeps me out of trouble so legionpodcasts.com for all of that plus a lot of uh a lot of stuff done by others uh even better than myself and uh and that's gonna do it for this episode duncan we'll be back in a in a week to talk about two more episodes of uh mind hunter so uh say goodnight, good night duncan good night duncan i
0: am gonna use it intentionally. jin jave jee leaning Okay.